2: 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS1060 app powered by Superbook Sports, it's a Thursday. It is June 8th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortillaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll make room for you. 602-260-1060 is the number. 1030 and 1115 is the caller interaction time. We'll also pave the way for Doug Haller of The Athletic joining us around 1015 today to talk about the Suns Frank Vogel and the news yesterday about what the team plans to do with point guard Chris Paul so we'll dive into all of those things with Doug around 1015 today but as we typically do let's set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll start with the KDOS 1060.com poll question the Nuggets took game three and there happened to be two players on the Nuggets rosters with triple doubles last night so which triple double was more impressive Nikola Jokic or Jamal Murray? And Jokic out in front, 71% of the vote. Murray, 29%.
1: So the Nuggets certainly responded. Uh, you know, they lost, at, uh, lost uh, at home for the first time in the playoffs and lost home court for the first time in this playoff uh, run. Uh, but now they've won four consecutive road playoff games. If you go back to the final game against the Suns, obviously the two games on the road, which they won both at Los Angeles, and they lose last. Uh, they win last night. Excuse me at uh, Miami, and it seemed like they responded to a Michael Malone's criticism after game two. And uh, I really didn't think for too many seconds, maybe a brief little run in the second quarter, that uh, that they were at a disadvantage. And I think the one thing that we talked about before the series even started is just the physical. Build and stature of the Nuggets seem to have a big advantage against the Heat, and that certainly was displayed last night. Plus 25 in rebounding margin, uh, in second chance points, 14 to 7. Uh, and uh, points in the paint was 30 to uh, excuse me, 60 to 34 last night. So I don't think I expected those kind of margins, uh, but yeah, you know, don't. I also said before the series started that uh, I don't think that the uh, you know the the length in the uh, you know physical build of the Nuggets is going to change over a two-week playoff span in the finals, and I haven't changed my mind on that. Especially last night, I guess, was some confirmation that that could be a big issue throughout this whole series for Miami.
2: Yeah, we'll certainly get into that game three here in just a little bit. But first, we got to touch on the Twitter poll question at KDUS AM 1060. Should the Suns trade DeAndre Ayton during the offseason and the masses are on the 65.2% side of things on the yes side, no trailing at 34.8%. DeAndre Ayton, though, of course, uh, the the offer for the max was matched last offseason for him.
1: Yeah, it was, and the no-trade clause uh, vanishes at the end of this month. Uh, I know, yeah, Woj reported last night, or I guess yesterday, sometime yesterday, that uh, the Suns are certainly going to explore the trade options for Eaton this off-season. And then there was all the Chris Paul stuff yesterday that he was going to be waived, might be waived, possibly would be waived, depending on which news organization you believe in. So uh, certainly some limbo in his future too
2: absolutely and we'll get uh, Doug Howler of the Athletics Perspective on all things Phoenix Suns here shortly back to the NBA Finals Game 3 the Nuggets coming out on top of that contest 109 to 80 uh, 109 to 94 trying to take away some points there for the Heat 109 to 94 they
1: did that on their own
2: (laughs) they really did Uh, per ESPN stats and information here Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are the first teammates in NBA history regular season or the playoffs to each record 30 point triple doubles in the same game the numbers here murray was 12 of 22 34 points 10 rebounds 10 assists Jokic 12 of 21 32 points 21 rebounds 10 assists uh, there, certainly the tone was set by both of those two players you had aaron gordon with 11 points good defense once again and then christian brown with 19 minutes and 15 points off the bench
1: yeah, I really think the tone was set by Murray, uh, who came out and was especially aggressive from the start of the game. He had eight of their first 12 points. Uh, he had 18 points in the first quarter as they just kind of established things. Uh, and uh, Jokic kind of took over from there. But you know, I think this uh, was a uh, Murray, you know, from you know, not completely from start to finish because he only had a couple of points in the second quarter. Uh, But he ended up with the triple-double. He was still on the floor, interestingly enough, in the last few seconds of the game uh, when he got that last rebound to get the triple-double. And um, I found it curious that he was still out there considering the Heat had already taken out all of their starters except for one.
2: Uh, so then you also kind of touched on this here. I-, I like to look at the numbers here and kind of some of the, the differentiating things of maybe why uh, the disparity was so big. And I've been pretty fascinated with the three number uh, for the Nuggets. They were five of 18 from three for the heat. They were 11 of 35 from three, but you already touched on it as well. Just how dominating the Nuggets were on the glass with 58 rebounds, 13 offensive boards, 45, uh, Uh, defensive boards whereas the heat 33 rebounds 10 offensive boards 23 defensive boards
1: yeah this was old school you know you know damn the three-point line who cares uh basically they just pounded it inside and they just uh miami just had no physical answer i mean they tried pretty much everybody they had uh you know except for haslam who did come in in the last couple seconds of the game and just kind of uh that might be his final nba game ever uh hopefully and he did miss a shot which he was did kind make of sad. a record was,
2: though for being the oldest to ever play in an nba finals game uh, at 42
1: i did not know that was the oldest ever i knew he was i know he's like 40 something so that's that's uh impressive in itself but uh you know they just uh they got physically manhandled this game basically
2: Jimmy Butler was 11 of 24 for 28 points. Bama Adebayo he had, uh, he's been really good this series, but he certainly struggled uh, from the floor. 7 of 21 22 points, but he did have 17 boards. Gabe Vincent, uh, he was kind of out of rhythm early with foul trouble and ended up just being 2 of 10 for 7 points and Max Struess off night for him. 1 of 7 for just 3 points. I know you were talking about being manhandled. The score was close in the first quarter, but for me it kind of felt like the game really turned uh, the last two, two and a half minutes of the second quarter. And then it obviously carried into the start of the third quarter and the Heat just had nothing uh, left to give.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think the only time I really thought there might be a little issue as far as uh, Denver not uh, being in control of this game is, you know, they fell behind midway through the second quarter but they had four team fouls already. It's the six-minute mark of the second quarter. And then they ended up going on an 8 nothing run after that. And uh, from that point on, I didn't think that uh, the Heat really had any chance to make a legitimate comeback.
2: A timeout huddle camera voice was played on ABC and it was showing Michael Malone imploring his team to own the fourth quarter as the heat have had much success in that quarter throughout the playoffs and certainly against Denver in the first couple of games. Uh, And this certainly showed that Denver didn't let up in that fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, that's true. Also kind of helps when you're up 14 (laughs) at the end of the third quarter So in Miami, actually went on a five-nothing run to end that third quarter. So they were up 19 before that. Uh, So yeah, I don't think there was any real threat in the fourth quarter at any point. So uh, yeah, certainly I think the Nuggets deserve some credit for that, but I think the Heat had uh, not necessarily checked it in at that point. I don't think that was the case. But you know, there there was never a second certainly in the second half, quite frankly. That I thought Denver was in danger of losing the game?
2: Uh, I don't know why this really stands out to me based upon its level of importance in the game, but uh, certainly when you're looking for easy buckets, and the Heat could certainly use easy buckets, uh, Kyle Lowry had a couple of different opportunities in this game for some lob passes or some uh, long court passes that would really set someone up on a breakaway here, and he ended up just having some horrific passes that were not on target at all, and ultimately didn't uh, give the person he was throwing it to an opportunity to Make an easy bucket. Uh, again, it, it, it's not really, I think, of a massive level of importance, but it kind of just shows to me that Miami has to maximize everything in order to have a chance against this Nuggets team.
1: I agree with the last part of that. I don't really agree with the ball handing part of this. They only had four turnovers the entire game, but when you're minus 25 and rebounding, that's not going to offset the four turnovers.
2: No, no, it's definitely not. Uh, And certainly, though, we tend to do this often where there's a pendulum swing one way or another after each game. But I think what showed here in Game 3 that uh, Miami needs everyone executing. You can't have Max Struess just make one bucket. You can't have Gabe Vincent just make two buckets. Everyone has to be contributing to their maximum potential in order to have a chance just because of Denver's uh, depth and their two stars, Jokic and Murray.
1: Once again, another fallacy out there, another you know, proves my point that you know, these role players don't automatically play better at home than they do on the road.
2: <laughs> you know, I was watching the game, and uh, I was watching it with my dad, and I happened to say that a couple of different times to him. Oh, well, you know what? Bob's going to have something to say about this on on Thursday because certainly they're not having a good game, and they're at home.
1: I apologize. It took me, like, you know, 15 minutes into this hour to bring that part up.
2: Yeah, you know what? I was expecting it to kind of be one of the first things you mentioned, but that's yeah, okay. Had,
1: <laughs> had the under 15 minutes into the hour.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm already 0 for 1 in the day, but... Game four is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. on ABC. We'll continue our basketball conversation on the other side of the break as we'll head on out to the KDOS hotline. Doug Howler of The Athletics set to join us. We'll talk about the Suns hiring Frank Vogel. He was introduced to the media this week. We'll also dive into uh, what does this mean for DeAndre Ayton? What does this mean for Chris Paul? As certainly different reports from different outlets happened yesterday. Kind of all over the place. So we'll see what Doug's yeah. perception is of, of what's going on there.
1: Also, I want to get in a little about ASU, the U of A, and the Pac-12 with Doug.
2: We can certainly do all of that as well. Uh, Doug Howler, he's next of The Athletic. It is The Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports.
0: Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on
2: KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports, we pop on out to the KDOS hotline to talk all things Phoenix Suns and maybe a little Pac-12 ASU U of A as well with the athletics Doug Howler. Doug, as always, thanks for the time. It's Bob and Kayla. How are you today?
0: I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me.
2: Absolutely, looking forward to the conversation here. Obviously, the Suns introduced their new head coach Frank Vogel this week, and we'll get into that—how he became their next head coach. But I want to start with yesterday's news regarding reports on Chris Paul's future with the team. You had Sham Sharinia of uh, the Athletic reporting that the Suns are exploring multiple options that include a trade, stretching his contract, or waiving him and re-signing him. So, first of all, can you walk us through what those options are, and what's the sense of what Paul as well as what the team want
0: well to start I think everyone knew um, just based on where Chris is in his career just turning 38 um, the fact that he has slowed down though I I do think there is value in Chris Paul I think he's um, above an above average point guard in the NBA I think uh, his leadership is uh, unparalleled and I think he adds a lot to the Suns I think he I think that was Seen in the playoffs once he went down in game two of the Western Conference semifinals. I think uh, the Suns were just kind of unsettled for the, at times during the rest of that series. So it wasn't so much of, you know, it, it was a contract. You know, is he worth making, bringing back $30.8 million uh, next year? No. So what are the solutions to that? And I think what we saw yesterday is just the first step in that process. Um, you know, could they, if they waive him, um you know they could they could possibly renegotiate um and bring him back at the veterans minimum uh there seems to be some interest on both sides or at least on the sun sides of bringing him back but you know chris would have to um <laughs> agree to come back with a pay cut a severe pay cut and you know loyalty is 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 a factor but i just don't know if that would be the case um Part of that $30 million is guaranteed, so the Suns are tied up already for $15 million. Um, does it make sense to pay him $15 and have him sign somewhere else? I don't know. Uh, they could waive and stretch him, stretch his contract, which would be they would pay the, the $15 over five years. Uh, if they do that, uh, it saves them money, obviously, it gives them cap space, but they would not be able to bring back Chris uh, under that situation. And then they could trade him, uh, which probably, you know, if you just look at it, would be, the, the best solution, but you know, then again, you're like, who, who? Finding a trading partner would be difficult, and also, not only finding a trading partner under normal circumstances, but finding a trading partner now when there's a good chance that if you just waited out, Chris might be waived and might become a, uh, a free agent. And you could, you know, negotiate under that way. So, a lot of things to, to uh, unravel there, and we have till I think June 28th to probably um, figure out which direction the team's going to go. But uh, just a lot of what is right now.
1: So if Paul doesn't return, is it just automatic that campaign becomes the starting point guard, and is Payne ready for that?
0: <laughs> um, I would say no, it's not automatic. I think um, they're going to have to – I mean, if they do decide to bring him back, Bob, I mean, yeah, he has value. I think he would be good. Can he hold up? I mean, that's been the question with Chris for the last couple of seasons. Can he hold up at that age? Um you know, and be the point guard they need in the postseason. And you know, there was a there was this pretty sharp drop from Chris Paul at thirty seven to thirty eight. Um, you know, what's he going to like? What's he going to be like next season, going from thirty eight to thirty nine? I don't know. So I, I think if if Chris Paul's not on the roster, they're, they're going to have to go out and find um, a, a, a really. I wouldn't say. I mean, they, they. I don't know if they could get a high level point guard, but they're going to have to find somebody uh, that can run the team. Who could step in and kind of be that facilitator uh, beside Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, and you know who knows if DeAndre Ayton will be around? But um, you know, that, I, I don't, I don't see them, I don't see them saying, okay, turn the keys over to, to campaign. I just don't think he's that type of point guard. I think his best quality is coming off the bench and, and uh, providing energy as he's done throughout his time being.
2: Doug Howler with The Athletic here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. So on to Frank Vogel. What were your impressions from him as he was introduced this week? And any key takeaways from style, what he wants from the team, or how he's going to unlock DeAndre Ayton's potential?
0: (laughs) Well, you just said on it, Kayla. Um, The biggest takeaway, I think everyone walked out of that press conference at the arena was, you know, DeAndre Ayton. You know, he talked a lot about Needing a rim protector for his defense to operate at a high level, and throughout Frank Vogel's uh, time in the NBA, throughout his ten plus seasons as head coach, most of the time when his defense has played at that high level, and, and they've been really good at times, the best in the NBA, he's had a rim protector. Now, sometimes rim protection and shot block and shot, you know, they don't they're not synonymous, but you know they do go hand in hand. And, and DeAndre just really hasn't been that guy. He hasn't been that force. Now he does change some shots just because of his size, but you know I, I wouldn't say he's the best rim protector on on the Suns team. I think Bismack uh, Biombo is. So you know when he when Frank Vogel said that, and he even said you know I want to help you know restore with an interesting word to use uh, DeAndre getting getting back to him getting him back to that All Star level. You know the question was you know is DeAndre that guy, and you know can Frank Vogel come in and work some kind of magic to get him to that level? I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I think that ex- to some extent DeAndre is who he is. Um and also does it make sense to you know, to have you know, put so much resources, thirty million dollars, into a guy that A may not be the rim protector that you want, and B you don't use as a max out guy. So I think it's gonna be really interesting to see what they do with DeAndre in this summer.
1: Okay, so let's say that they move Aiden, What would they want, or what could they expect to get in return?
0: Well, I think you could probably – I mean, you could get a good rim protector probably at half the price. Um, so, I mean, what they need to do, whether no matter what decision they make with Chris Paul, DeAndre Aiton, um, the overall picture will be to the overall objective would be to, to open up some financial flexibility to be able to allow them to kind of build the roster around Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. I mean, those are your core pieces. Uh, I think the, the playoffs showed this past season or this season that, you know, that's not enough. <laughs> you know, they didn't have enough time to start with, with Kevin Durant. But also, I think you've seen in the playoffs that you need a really strong bench to really uh, compete for a title that's something the Suns did not have. And really, for I think the Suns to kind of answer those questions, they have to first figure out what they're going to do with with Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden and then go from there and see what they can do.
2: Doug Howler with The Athletic here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Okay, so you mentioned Kevin Durant. You mentioned Devin Booker. They're the pieces that they're going to be building around. So how much were they involved in the process of hiring Frank Vogel and how did Frank Vogel get to be the Suns' next head coach?
0: They were involved. I talked to Matt Ishbia and James Jones about that, and I don't know if they were, um, like, involved, like, okay, uh, (laughs) they weren't involved in the interview process. But, I mean, for the most part, they were told, like, okay, here's what we're thinking, Um, here's what we're looking for, here are the principles that we'd like, Um, here are the candidates that we have. Um, And and I think, you know, as far as whether or not they, okay, Frank Goldberg was our guy, I'm sure they were informed before it went public. But, you know, I don't think uh that that, that hiring Frank Vogel um had necessarily had to get the seal of approval of those guys. I think it was it was well known that that um Kevin Young, the assistant coach, was, was very well liked. Um so those guys were were informed of the process, I think, more than the actual like uh <laughs> you know, what what was being said in interviews and as far as that goes. But yeah, I mean just uh You know, they went from 10. um, James Jones started interviewing 10 candidates by Zoom. They narrowed that down to five. Those five flew to Michigan and met at Matt Ishbia's office in Pontiac. And, you know, I I went through that. uh, (laughs) uh, I went up to visit uh, Matt Ishbia when he was uh, first introduced to Suns owner and got the tour of the place. And it's quite the home court advantage Uh, just with how – I mean, it's like a college campus. So that's where they did their interviews. And, you know, just talking to – James Jones and Matt Ishvia, uh, they were really floored with, uh, with with what Frank Vogel told them, just with his presence, his ideas, how he articulated his ideas. Um, you know, he checked the boxes as far as championship pedigree, um, as far as w- working with superstars in the past, which he's done, obviously, with the Lakers. Um, and then just also, you know, James Jones told me a lot about just how he was impressed with what he's done defensively, not only just throughout the course of the season, but his willingness. Uh, his willingness and ability, ability to make adjustments as needed uh, to that defense.
1: You mentioned a few things there. Obviously, uh, you wrote about earlier this week uh, the Suns hiring Vogel. How the Suns decided on Frank Vogel and what he'll bring to the uh, to Phoenix is the headline. Yeah, you know, want people to check out your story, of course, but you know, what kind of stood out to you during the process and uh, compiling the info for the story?
0: Well, okay. Obviously, when something like this happens, everyone's going to say that he was the guy that we wanted uh, from the beginning, and and that happens to every coaching search. I don't know if that was was the case at this point, Uh, but I do know. You know, Matt told me. I asked Matt Ishbia. I said, "Had you ever known him, or have you ever met him?" He said he didn't know him at all. Um, He said that he didn't meet him until they had a meeting at his at his headquarters and. Uh, Frank arrived a little bit earlier, and they just sat down for 15 minutes in his office and, you know, waited for the other group from the Suns to arrive, and he said it was just, you know, just amazing how he, the comfort level just from the start was there, how Frank put him at ease, Um, and really maybe it should have been the other way around, Matt putting him at ease, but Frank really did that.
2: Um, Now,
0: how does that, you know, translate to basketball? I, I think when you come into a situation like this, when you're walking into not a rebuilding job, but a team that that has title aspirations, a team that has stars in place, uh, there is an adjustment period. You know, you have to earn their trust, and you have to make them, uh, you know, feel like they have confidence in you. So I think that applies there. Um, but yeah, it just and then James Jones just going through. Uh, you know, he t- he told me how he took notes during the meeting and afterwards. This was right before the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Ishbia told them go back. Um, think about this we'll get back for Tuesday for our strategy session and James just said that once he went over his notes that everything that he was looking for in a head coach he said every box he said Frank Vogel um, you know checked every one of those boxes and he said that it was just clear that by the time Tuesday came uh, and they talked on their phone that that everybody was uh, convinced that he was their guy
2: Doug Haller with The Athletic here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Uh, so Frank also said that he hasn't defined assistant coaches' roles yet. We know Kevin Young has been retained, and we know that David Fisdale is set to join the staff as well. Do you like that Young has been retained, and, and can that work knowing that Young was up for the head coaching position?
0: Yeah, that was interesting that he said uh, roles had not been defined because I think everyone was kind of assuming that Kevin Young would come in and be his lead assistant, and maybe some of that. I mean, obviously – it's been reported that he's going to make two million dollars a year, so maybe he will be entitled by the lead, uh, the lead assistant. But I thought that was interesting the way he worded that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my goodness, uh, to to not only get you know a finalist like Kevin Young, who you know according to Matt Ishbia was really really impressive during the interview process, um, had a great a strong presentation, uh, and obviously as as I mentioned, he had some backing from people in place. Um, With Devin Booker, but to get your maybe your top candidate and (laughs) maybe your second candidate, that's that's pretty impressive. And then also to bring someone uh, with the experience of David Fisdale, who has been a head coach in this league, has been on the management in the front office side of this. um, That's a pretty strong staff, Uh, you know, and and that it starts with Frank Vogel. Obviously, he's won a championship. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Um, You know, it sounds like obviously Frank with Frank Vogel being a defensive minded head coach. Uh, that, that Kevin Young, uh, who's known more on the offensive side, would maybe run the offense, be the offensive coordinator. But, uh, you know, to start out, you know, to be uh, at a place where you have to take the next step and, you know, you hear so much about a new voice being needed, um, I think the Suns went beyond that. They got the new voice, but I think they've upgraded their staff as well.
1: Doug, away from the Suns, I want to ask you, obviously you covered ASU for many years. I want to ask you about the Pac-12 which still has plenty of uncertainty months after the announcement about USC and UCLA leaving, leaving soon uh, for, for the Big Ten. The Pac-12 television rights remain up in the air. Uh, you know The Pac-12 you know, officials seem to be in concert as to staying. But should ASU and the U be looking to leave for, say, the Big 12? And what is the future of the Pac-12?
0: Yeah, uh, definitely they should be looking. Uh, if you're not looking uh, in this day and age of college sports, if you're not looking out for your best interest, you will get left behind. I think everyone, if you haven't learned that lesson by now, particularly the Pac-12 schools uh, in wake of what happened with UCLA and USC leaving, um, you're, you're just not being real smart about this. So yeah, they should be looking at all their options. And whether that's Big 12, whether that's staying in the Pac-12, whether that's Going all in and trying to do everything you can to get on the Big Ten's radar. I think I don't think that's a possibility, but that, that's what you need to be doing. And uh, you know, with the Pat in regards to the Pat 12 so much is on hold just because you know you don't know what the media rights deal is going to produce. Uh, and I think I think the Pat 12 has kind of switched uh, their strategy as far as that goes, at least publicly. Uh, I think for a while they weren't saying much, and people were kind of filling in the filling in the gaps saying oh, this is not good for the pac 12. So then the president start talking a little bit uh, and saying that, hey, we're united. Um, of course we haven't seen a pac12 uh, you know meteor rights deal yet. so and now so it's, it's just kind of like what what are we waiting for? And no one's going to make a decision until the numbers are in front of them And you know it, it would it be hard for ASU and, and U of a to leave? I think it would, but when it comes down to it, uh, they have to do what's best for them. It seems like U of A is a little bit more willing to leave the Pac-12, whereas ASU and Michael Crow have has that strong, strong loyalty. Michael Crow has proven that throughout his, his tenure at ASU, first to Larry Scott, um, now to the Pac-12. But uh, if they're not looking out for themselves, um, there's no doubt they will get left behind.
2: Just piggybacking off of something that you said there real quick, uh, is it kind of this situation of like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? So like the schools need to see the numbers for the media rights deal, but our media rights uh, deals kind of slow playing things to see which teams are still going to be left.
0: Yeah, that, that complicates things. Um, you know, it's Just losing the LA market is huge, and I I think everything's just kind of riding on this because you know I think San Diego State and what its future is and whether it's going to join the Pac-12. It just seems like everything's on hold for that, and you know it seems like the timeline keeps getting moved back, moved back. Uh, You know I think Ray Anderson not too long ago just said that maybe July, maybe August, but you know I think it's proven that maybe the value of the Pac-12 is. (laughs) Is not what it used to be, obviously, losing the L.A. school. Um, What it it turns out to be, I I think probably if I had to guess that the the deal will probably be good enough to keep the Pac-10 together. I think that's probably what they prefer. Uh, But, you know, it's hard to say. You don't know until you see those numbers. And, you know, without a timetable, it's really hard to predict.
2: Doug, as always, we greatly appreciate you taking some time and going through a plethora of uh, topics with us today, and we look forward to talking with you soon. All
0: right, I appreciate you having me.
2: Once again, he is Doug Howler with The Athletic. Uh, you know, I did see something that uh, uh, the president of the University of Arizona, Dr. Robbins, spoke right. yesterday. because uh, yeah, I watched s- some
1: of that. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay.
2: Because uh, yeah. a lot of the like it seems like every media outlet was jumping to that there was a grant of rights agreed to but uh, i don't know how you can have a grant of rights agreed to if there's no media rights deal in place
1: that's true i mean it's kind of like the acc remember they got tied into this a few years ago and i think they kind of went out of their situation right now or at least some of the schools went out of that situation from several years ago when they originally agreed to that it's just a mess and I wish I could say I'm surprised, but I'm not. As soon as we found out, nearly, you know, it's been 10, 12 months now since we knew about USC and UCLA leaving for the Big Ten. And it's amazing we're still at this point right now.
0: KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and SportsMap Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060.
2: Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. It's 1042 on this Thursday, June 8th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortellaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. If you'd like to join the program, you can 602-260-1060. We'll take some phone calls real quick here. Uh, Thanks to Doug Howler of The Athletic for taking time in the previous segment. If you missed any of that conversation about the Phoenix Suns, you <laughs> and uh, the Pac-12 and the future of the Pac-12 ASU U of A. You can always podcast over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We want to just piggyback a little bit off of that final bit of conversation with Doug Howler in terms of the future of the Pac-12 and uh, if there are any schools destined for the Big 12 here and what we kind of gleaned from U of A president Robert Robbins talking uh, to a small group of media. Media yesterday i had seen reports uh, a couple of months ago and then as well as a little bit more emphatically i think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago that the u of a was more inclined to leave for the big 12 and you kind of had maybe a perception as to why you feel that that could be true
1: yeah and i actually thought about this literally moments after i remember i was sitting in a restaurant. Uh, when you know, I first got the text alert that USC and UCLA were leaving for the Big Tw- Big Ten at some point. And I immediately thought about the U of A and what might that mean for them. And uh, I, you know, my next thought was the Big 12, um, which is already the best basketball conference in the country, at least right now, and has been for the last few years, in my opinion. And that's not going to change any. Remember, they're already adding Houston, uh, then there's you know recent reports that they're interested in adding Connecticut and Gonzaga. I'm not sure how realistic those ideas are, but you know UV, Tucson is a unusual community uh, in college town, city, et cetera uh, for you know one big reason in my opinion is that basketball is you know as much as they want to try to hype their football improvement and so forth, which I thought was a little. Phony last year, but that has nothing to do with this. Uh, but basketball—it's a basketball community, and you know, if you certainly you know they're, they're, they've done a better job trying to you know get past the Kevin Sumlin era in football. But you know, the U of A you know, alumni base, the Tucson sports fan—I'm uh, thinking most of the time thinks U of A basketball before football. And uh, that would be, I think, just at least initially, a really better fit for them. I'm not sure how much they would really be able to compete at the top level of the Big 12, because I think there are several teams in the Big 12, including the last couple of years, uh, when the U of A has obviously been in the NCAA tournament and highly ranked. But I think the, the U of A would have had a really tough time being a championship contender, at least right now in the Big 12 Conference, but maybe that would also help the recruiting. Maybe at some point, I know I've mentioned this before, and maybe I'm just being harsh or incorrect about this, but it'd be nice if Tommy Lloyd could recruit some players that could get a stop occasionally, because it seems to be offense first, second, and third, and defense is like you know way down the chart of in priorities.
2: And this is also along the lines, if we're reading the tea leaves here, of something that Brett Yormark had said, uh, and we talked about it earlier this week, that he wants to be the perennial uh, you know, college basketball conference, that he completely understands that football drives things, but that there is a market for college hoops. And to continue to, to showcase that, because uh, we were talking a little bit off air, that they may already have the strongest conference for college basketball hoops. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, they do. I mean, the last uh, two or three years, I think it's inarguable, and you know there are other you know there's you know know, uh, schools and towns slash cities in the Big 12 that have some similarities to to Tucson. You know, Kansas, Baylor come to mind, and while you know Baylor's had some football success, I think most people you know immediately think basketball with Baylor. Definitely Kansas historically one of the uh, preeminent programs in the history of the sport in Allen Fieldhouse, et cetera. Uh, So I think that along those lines, the U of A kind of falls into that category as far as just the priority in the community uh, towards basketball as opposed to football.
2: Uh, And the linkage that was also reported earlier this week, don't know how viable it is, but if the Big 12 wanted to go after Gonzaga, that would fit that bill because they don't even have college football. But the whole community rallies around that team.
1: Right. Absolutely. I think that would be a tremendous fit. I mean, I think a lot of people have thought for years that Gonzaga would be moving on from the West Coast Conference, which has actually improved in fact, you can make a case that basketball-wise, the West Coast Conference has been better than the Pac-12 the last two or three years. Uh, and I, I have made that case, and I'm not going to change my, my stand on that, at least at this point. And it might actually be stronger because UCLA, I don't think it's going to be as good as it was a year ago. They obviously lost Campbell and Hawkes finally leaving for the NBA, et cetera. And then uh, I'm not so sure the U of A is going to be as good as they uh, actually have been the last couple of years when, in my opinion, they've been overrated to start with.
2: Uh, one other thing I, I think is also interesting that I, I read today about Brett Yormark and the Big 12 is that he certainly is not content on uh, – he, he's certainly willing to expand and try new things. And it looks like yeah. here that the Big 12 is going to be playing some basketball games in Mexico, and they're also mulling over a potential bowl game in college football that would be played in Monterey, Mexico, and that would start in 2026. So he's looking at all possible avenues for expansion, and uh, money.
1: That's true. Um, if I remember correctly, he has uh, history as an agent before, and also maybe some television background, too. So he's got, uh, uh, he certainly has, uh, in my recollection, a history of uh, you know things that kind of back up some of the things you're discussing for possible future endeavors for the Big 12.
2: The RBC Canadian Open is underway. We'll check in to see how our guys are doing, who's atop of the leaderboard, and the latest surrounding uh, the Live Golf, the merger of the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and PIFF. Uh, There's certainly some interesting things that have come out this morning, so we'll get into all of that on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Thursday, it's June 8th. It's the extra point.
0: Interact with Bob Kim's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kent's bottom line at KDUS1060.com.
2: Wrapping up our number one of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. So we had the news, uh, the jaw-dropping news, the unexpected news earlier this week that the PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and PIF were joining their commercial efforts to move golf forward. Uh, It was announced that uh, this new... I'm going to keep using the word formulation uh, was going to be a for-profit LLC yet to be named, yet to be created, and that the PGA Tour would be staying as a non-profit. There's still so many question marks in regards to what this means. uh, How are the tours going to look? uh, How are the live golfers going to be integrated back in? uh, That there was a pathway for them to return, but there's just a lot of question marks still yet to be be answered well we do know one thing is that uh congress has now introduced a bill wednesday that would actually end the pga tour's ability to file as a 501c organization so they're certainly unhappy with how things have just all unfolded on that front when it comes to whether or not golf is just going to be copacetic uh you certainly had the 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 feelings and the sentiments that with piff putting their money behind the pga tour and that it was called a merger but maybe in fact it's more of an investment and kind of like owning uh this new future of golf that that would mean the live tour was going to disband well This morning, you have reports from Alan Shipnock that uh, he wrote an article. Greg Norman, who's the head and face of Live Golf, was rallying the troops yesterday and telling them that Live Golf is a standalone entity and that it will continue to be that moving forward and says that it is coming right from the top. So the top would be the person who's in charge of PIF, who made this entire agreement. So we'll see if any of this is true and how it all unfolds. But according to Shipnock's reporting here, Norman goes on to say that there will be no operational changes to live golf for 2023, 2024, 2025, and into the future. Also furthering that, a live exec told Shipnock that they are considering expanding, uh, expanding the teams that they have created for 2024 and that every big name PGA Tour player will get an offer except for Rory McElroy. There was... Um, Some strong language used that I am not going to repeat here. Uh, You also had Matt Adams reporting that a recent world number one and multi-major winner was in advanced talks with Liv. So that... If you're putting these tea leaves together here that these reports and these talks of this merger really heated up about seven to eight weeks ago uh if you look at seven to eight weeks ago that was the masters who just won the masters John Rahm he's a former world number one he's also a multi-major winner then all of a sudden these talks heat up I don't know if I'm on the right track here but maybe I am for how things have all unfolded We'll see. Turning our attention to the RBC Canadian Open, you have Aaron Rye and Justin Lauer and Corey Connors, who's a Canadian. Chess and Hadley all out in front at five under par. They are done for the day. When it comes to uh, our guys that we're rooting on this week, Tyrell Hatton shot even par. Rory McIlroy shot one under par. That's good for a tie for 27th for him. Justin Rose, he uh, finished at three under par. That's good for a tie for 10th we right now we have him in a head-to-head over cameron young and cameron young is even through three our vandal aaron Cockerell, he has yet to tee off so we'll continue to monitor how aaron is playing as he gets his rounds started a little bit later today. We have hour number two of the extra point on the other side of the break. It is Bob Kemp. It is Kayla Mortellaro with you on this Thursday, June 8th, here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports.